it's heartbreaking for me when members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints say things like, well, one day we'll have this. Or, you know, I went to the Kirtland Temple and I, I didn't feel the Spirit at all. They just ruined it. Or they, they just talked about history and didn't talk about the spiritual events. None of that is true. So the community of Christ, they know their audience. They know that a, a significant portion of visitors who, who come to their sites are Latter-day Saints. And they share those stories, which we as Latter-day Saints hold dear. And, you know, the community of Christ may see things a little differently, but they still share those stories because it's, it's what happened there. And, you know, for people to say, you know, well, I've never felt the spirit of it community of Christ's side. Well, that's not the community of Christ's fault. That's the individual's fault. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall, and I'm, I went back into the history of how long it has taken us to be able to coordinate schedules and, and be able to get this to happen. It's almost a year. Gary Boatwright, welcome to the Cultural Hall. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, Gary is the operations manager for the Historic Sites Division of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I think you first reached out to us on uh, Twitter and said, hey, guys, uh, this is who I am. Or how did we get connected? I just know that that's where we started over a year ago. And, and how are we here? Well, I, I think you reached out to me. Um, but again, it's like I said, it's been like a year ago. Um, you know, I follow you on Twitter and I think you follow me and I think we just kind of got connected and, and I know you've caught, talked to a few other of my colleagues in the church history department over the years. And, um, I don't remember the specifics, but here we are. Finally. Yeah, we made it. So let me ask you this. What does the operations manager for the historic sites division of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints do? So that is something that my kids ask me all the time. They still haven't figured out what I do. The best way I like to explain it is this. Uh, it, our, all the historic sites of the church are grouped into groups of 10. So like okay. we have the New York and Pennsylvania historic sites, and there's five historic sites over there, but there's one couple who serves as the site leaders over that. Okay. And so we have 10 couples who serve as historic site leaders and the simplest way to explain what I do is my job is to make sure that the site leaders and their missionaries have the tools and the resources to fulfill their callings and to basically make sure they're happy. Um, so, I mean, that's the, the feel good uh, <laughs> description of what my job entails, but really it is all the day-to-day -day operations at the historic sites of the church across the country from the Joseph Smith birthplace to the Mormon battalion historic site in San Diego. So you are just United States? Just United States, just the, the official historic sites. And, and we classify historic sites as the places where we have missionaries who provide interpretation. So as we know, there's historic sites tied to the church all around the world. Mm -hmm. But these are the places where the church actually calls missionaries, full-time missionaries uh, to serve or service missionaries in some cases. So, so are there, you know, drilling down then on this, are there no historic sites to me? I guess I would think that there would be full-time missionaries or service missionaries maybe serving in England at some sort of historic site. Is that not the case? So there is one site, the restored Gadfield Elm Chapel, uh -huh. where there are service missionaries serving there. But we, that's classified as a historic meeting house in the historic sites program. And so like the Paris, Idaho Tabernacle, the Pine Valley Chapel near St. George. You know, they're historic places uh, of the church, um, but the, the management of those is on a more local basis rather than a church headquarters basis. Okay. But the historic sites are more of a church basis, and that's you. Correct. I yep. love it. So, so then uh, the, the next obvious question to me is how many historic sites does the church have? So we count 23. Okay. Um, and some of those actually are not sites that we have missionaries, but they're in the groupings of sites. So, for example, in Missouri, 
the two sites where we have missionaries are the Independence Visitor Center in, and Liberty Jail. Mm-hmm. But we also have the Hans Mill Massacre site and the Far West Temple site that's nearby. And those fall under our, our stewardship as well. So uh, I'm, tr- I'm racking my brain and I'm trying to think of 23. Uh, are, would it be beneficial? I mean, I th- so let me let me see how many I can rattle off and you tell me. Can you keep a running okay. count and well, I'll rattle well, these off? Let me get a piece of paper here. Okay. This is this that. is a game that I think is awesome, especially knowing that we have the entire United States. I wonder how many of these 23 I'm going to get. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So uh, we get, obviously, the, the birthplace of the Prophet Joseph Smith. So Sharon, Vermont. Yep. Um, you have Sacred Grove. You have um, uh, the, the, the site of the priesthood restoration. Um, so, yeah. Uh, then you get into uh, Kirtland. And you have the Kirtland Temple. Now, do, in Kirtland, do you differentiate like the Kirtland because there is the 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 reorg? Or the, I'm sorry, the Community of Christ Church owns the Kirtland Temple. Do you count the Kirtland Temple or the Kirtland area as just an historic site because there's like the Newell K. Whitney store and the Granary and all that? Is that all one site? So we classify historic Kirtland, which is where the Newell K. Whitney store and and the the area that. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint owns as a site. Uh-huh. We don't technically count the Kirtland Temple as our historic site because it's not our historic sure. site, but okay. it certainly okay. is a historic site. So that is not part of the the twenty-three. Okay. Uh, so then I would say uh, the Johnson Farm. Uh-huh. So Hiram, Ohio, and then uh, you you gave me a couple of them. We got the four in Missouri, the Far West, the Hans Mill, the um. Independence and the Liberty Jail. Uh, let me think if there's something that I'm missing along the east. What am I missing? Let me go other ones. So then you mentioned uh, you got uh, San Diego. So the Mormon Battalion down there. I'm going to guess that Cedar Fort is uh, one of these. Is that correct? Co-fort. Or Cofort. That's what I mean. Cofort. Co-fort. Yep. Cofort is one of them. Uh, the Devils, whatever, in Wyoming, the, uh, where oh, the so, pioneers mm- came through. So Martin's Cove, yeah. Okay. Yes, nice. I don't have the exact names on all this, but I'm feeling good. How many am I up to right now? I've uh, got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Oh, so I don't so even barely have half. I don't even oh. barely have half. Want me uh, fill in the rest? Oh, oh, I forgot everything with Nauvoo. So you've got the Nauvoo Temple. Do you count Nauvoo like Kirtland? That it's just like Nauvoo, but yeah, Na- okay. Nauvoo is one because there's. A dozen, I mean, more than a dozen buildings there. And then Carthage, we separate okay. that out. Okay, so, so I would have got show. those two. Now I'm curious, that that to me m- makes me think that there are nine that didn't come obvious to mind. So up in the New York area, we also have the uh, Whitmer Farm, okay. where the church was organized. Uh, we also have the Grandin Building, which is the location of the publication of the Book of Mormon. Uh, I was impressed you got the Johnson Farm. Most uh, Most people don't think of that. Well, I, I'm waiting for the temple to be there like it was promised. <laughs> I served my mission in Cleveland, so okay. we got to spend a lot of time down there. Let's see. You got Missouri, uh, San Diego, Cofort, um, in St. George, Utah, when that area we have the St. George Tabernacle. Okay, which is Brigham. a gorgeous place. My goodness, right there it, it in is. the heart of the town. It is, and the, the church just a few years ago did a wonderful restoration of that. Then we have I, the hold on. Young, I bet I oh. I can get one uh, like Brigham Young's home. That's also yep. in like Santa Clara or St. George or somewhere around there. Yep. And the, the Hamblin home. Okay. Okay. So got those three down there. Um, in Omaha, we have the Mormon trail center uh-huh. at the winter quarters cemetery. And then across the river from that in council bluffs, we, well, we used to have the Canesville tabernacle, um, but that site is actually being redeveloped into more of a Canesville memorial that will tell the story of of Canesville. And we can get into that a little bit more. Yeah, please. Uh, if you want. And then in Wyoming, you mentioned Martin's Cove, uh, but we also have Sixth Crossing and Rock Creek Hollow. Okay. Uh, those three places along the, the Mormon Trail. And I think that I wasn't writing down what I was saying, but that should be 23. <laughs> Does the church have any involvement with that? This is the place. Is that a historic site that this is a place? No, we we, we have probably a loose, a loose relationship with them, but we haven't done much with them in my time. 
in the park. So that's a lot, Gary. That's a lot under it, your purview. It, it is. And we have a staff of, I think we're up to 16 full-time staff members now. Uh, we have three excellent interns working with us now and a handful of, of missionaries here at church headquarters. So the reality is we don't have one person to assign to each site. So it is a it is quite a handful, and uh, I like to think of it as good job security for the <laughs> remainder of my career. Now, let me ask you this, because I know it's a concern for a lot of people, especially recently when you look at places like um, the Manti Temple, the fact that because we're sort of issuing in the 21st century, there is some part of the church that is like, new, big, grand, let's do it, take down the old stuff. How How do you, within these historic sites, how how do you and and how do you feel like the church is negotiating to to know what to preserve and and what to say like oh that's okay let's we can let that go so i i can't really comment on what's been happening with the temples sure. I, i'm not involved in in any of those discussions at all but i i can say that with the historic sites that there has been a lot of attention and a lot of focus on preservation um, also accuracy as well, and a lot of time, effort, research going into to projects to make sure that they're as accurate as, as possible. And we saw this, you know, with the development of the priesthood restoration site mm -hmm. several years ago. And uh, currently we have a project right now in Kirtland where we're restoring the Joseph and Emma Smith home in Kirtland, which is just down the street from from the Kirtland Temple. Yeah, at and, the time that I served my mission, you could rent it for like six hundred dollars a month. That was yeah, the, that was it, the joke that we always made, where people uh, we we had the opportunity to talk to. Um, I can't think of it. Car Carl. Rick. Carl Anderson. Carl Anderson. Carl Rick's Anderson. That's it. Yep. And and he would always point out, and that's the Joseph Smith home where you can rent it for six hundred dollars a month if you can be the next renter to to be able to live there. And we always thought, wait, what? Joseph Smith's home is just like a, a private entity that can be rented out, but the church recently has purchased that and is stripping it down to what it originally was. Correct. And and I would clarify, we're not stripping it down, although it looks like that way, but it really is peeling off those layers, getting down to the, the 1830s home that was Joseph and Emma Smith's, and then where we need to reconstruct portions so that at the end of the day, we have a, a, an accurate reconstruction and something that we hope that if Joseph and Emma were alive and they were walking down the street, they would be able to stop and look and say, hey, that, that's our house. Yeah, I appreciate that attention to to accuracy and, you know, um, and the opportunity that we'll have to be able to view that as it was in 1830. Another one that I feel like has got garnered a lot of attention is everything with Hill Cumora, with the ending of the Hill Cumora pageant. And we're like, yes. trees, everyone <laughs> grab a tree, plant a tree. Give me some context as to, to why that's so important and, and, and maybe a little bit more depth into what that project is. So as, as you know, you, you noted that the Hill Cumora pageant was canceled. And, you know, 2020 was going to be, I think, the last one, if I remember right. And, of course, the world went to heck with the pandemic. And and the, the church eventually decided just the, the pageant's done. And so we had known that, well, we were kind of preparing for that um, in case that ever happened. Because when you look at the history of the Hill Cumora, it really is one of the most sacred sites of the restoration. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's a place where Joseph went, you know, four years in a row to, to be taught and tutored by Moroni. And eventually from which he, he pulled the gold plates, which we have the Book of Mormon from. And the Hill Cumora has a long history of being a pageant stage. And, and there's a, a history of why that happened that, the, the pageant actually started, had its roots in the sacred grove. And I, I'm very glad that they moved the pageant from the sacred grove. And it bounced around to a place or two before it ended up on the Hill Cumora. Um, but over the years, as the Hill Cumora pageant grew, so did the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And so there were 
multiple buildings that were built to support the pageant. There was an F uh, facilities management office and area that was put behind the hill. There was just growing, growing infrastructure. And when the church made the decision to discontinue the pageants, uh, we saw an opportunity where we could restore the Hill Camorra to its 1820s appearance. Now, restoring a landscape is a lot different than restoring a home because you're dealing with living things. Mm -hmm. And so what we did is really created a plan to take all the pageant elements off of the hill. Uh, all these buildings, I think there's like 16 buildings or something total that we actually took down. We took a lot of the that. In underground infrastructure out as well. We we moved the facilities management offices to another location, and we added some trails to the Hill Camorra. And all of this in an effort that people would have a, a greater sense and understanding of what it was like when Joseph went there. Now, the, the big area of the hill, the, the bare area where they held the pageant, there were some discussions of, well, do we plant trees? Do we start with seedlings? Do we just go with seeds? And working with Robert Parrott, our forester there, and, and a team of, of others, we felt it was best to really see if we can get some natural regeneration, but also uh, help kickstart it by, by planting and spreading seeds. Uh, we had talked about using seedlings or, or saplings and maybe even some larger trees, but we decided not to do that for a variety of reasons, um, because any saplings, saplings that you get from a nursery are not as strong as a, a natural growing tree, something sure. that took root on its own. And uh, the other thing is, too, if we put in like larger trees, with that being an open area, the trees wouldn't grow straight up like they would in a forest. They would grow out like these nice trees you see in a park, which is great for a park setting, but terrible if you want a forest. Right. And so we decided that, you know, we'll just do the seeds and we'll let do that in combination with Mother Nature. So we had a, uh, our, final big uh, push with the project was just last November. Uh, myself and, and Ben Pikels, our director, went out there. We had recruited the missionaries from the New York Syracuse Mission, and we had thousands and thousands of, of seeds of hardwood trees that are native to the area. And we just spread them and planted them um, all on that hill. And it was it, actually, it was one of the most amazing experiences I've had in my career. It was November 11th, if I remember right. And, you know, the weather in November in New York, it can, can be hit and miss. And we had been looking at the weather for several weeks at the forecast uh, beforehand, and it just looked like it was going to be rain and, mm. you know, just terrible weather. Well, the, the two days we were there, uh, we were there the Thursday before to kind of prep and stuff, it was 70 degrees. Um, the next morning when we had the missionaries come, it was it was a cool morning, uh, very light breeze, perfect for spreading seeds. Uh, we we planted, got everything planted, and just as we were wrapping up, it started raining, hmm. which is exactly what those seeds needed to to help and, and it rained for like three days uh, mm. we were told after that um, but it was just everything worked out perfect um, kind of a, a funny well not funny coincidence but a, a something really neat is um, years before well, decades before uh, Willard Bean had done a similar thing he had invited missionaries from the area to come and help reforest the Hill Camorra his reforestation efforts were primarily with pine trees. With, mm. And mainly because he was from Utah when, you know, people out West, when we think of forest, we think of pine trees. But he, you know, had these missionaries come, he gave them kind of a rousing sermon that, 
you know, today you're, you're planting trees and the, this place is, is going to, you know, touch the hearts and lives of, of thousands of people for, for years to come. And it was funny decades later, well, not funny, but decades later, ha having that same experience. And so my colleague, Ben Peichels, he shared this story mm. about what Willard Bean did with these missionaries and kind of echoed similar sentiments that, you know, they're, they weren't planting seeds of faith or seeds of the gospel necessarily in people's hearts that day, but they were planting seeds that was going to create an environment that people could come to and learn of joseph smith learn of the coming forth of the book of mormon and and be a place where they can feel the spirit and have the spirit testify of the truthfulness of the events that occurred on that hill that's beautiful thank you for sharing that there's not a way that i think you know most of us would have known that had you not shared that but that that, that is unique willard bean if i'm not mistaken is the one who is sort of air quotes depicted in the fighting preacher movie correct. of a couple of years back by tc christensen correct yep Okay. So, so I wonder, uh, too, this about, uh, maybe we spend another minute or two, um, there at the Hill Camorra. So with the, the pageant being a part of the history of the church, is there anything that is incorporated where we aren't doing the pageant anymore? Can, will people, are, are they able to know that that was a thing? Did, it, was it ever videoed so that people could watch it if, the, you know, in the visitor center there or, or have, or is the attitude going to be sort of like, yeah, we did a pageant for a little while and now there's a forest trail and trees and go enjoy that. So my understanding is that people can, can still see a video of the pageant on the church website. I, I haven't seen it myself on there because I saw it several times in person. <laughs> You're like, I'm uh, good. I got this. Um, but one of the markers, and so we put a few interpretive markers on the hill as well as people walked up to kind of help share the story. And one of the first markers does talk about the the Hill Camorra pageant and then the reforestation of mm -hmm. the hill. And, you know, the other thing to remember with this project is, you know, where we're restoring a building, you know, we can put the final nail in, we can open the door and, okay, we're done. Mm -hmm. Well. You know, we we've completed the project, but now we have to let Mother Nature and time take its course. And and you know, my children and my grandchildren will will see the efforts of what we've been doing uh, these last few years. Um, they'll be the ones who'll be able to see the full restoration of the Hill Camorra. That's awesome. Let's take a quick break. When we come back in the second block, we'll move away from the Hill Camorra and talk about some of the other historic sites. There are 22 others that we need to get into. We won't get into all of them, but we will spend some time on some other ones. Come back and do that in the second block of the Cultural Hall. Best DJ in Utah.com. It's been a while since we've had a new one of these, and I apologize for that. It's because I've been so busy DJing events all over the country. Uh, but especially here in Utah, been able to do some great, uh, you know, weddings. I've done a, a prom or two for different listeners of the Cultural Hall. I love it when you uh, reach out to me at bestdjinutah.com, or uh, you can find the phone number online as well. I would love it if you say, hey, I heard about you on the Cultural Hall, because maybe, just maybe, I give a Cultural Hall discount. Uh, all sorts of events. It doesn't have to be a, a wedding. It could be a community event. Maybe it's a ward or youth activity. I'm doing one of those this summer. In fact, just lock the deal down on that. Uh, whatever it may be, if you need music to accompany your event or you just need a great MC, I would love to be able to help you out. You're simply going to need to go to bestdjinutah.com. Hi, friends. Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. Our lifetime service guarantee has become the most trusted warranty in the industry. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop computer, and they start at only $29 a month. Check us out at PCLaptops.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, you should become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall, if for no other reason, so you can see the video uh, of this discussion with Gary Boatwright. And even further, uh, you would get to know why before we started recording today, we talked for at least 10 minutes about the books that he has on his bookshelf behind him. I'm not going to tell you what they are. You have to be a Patreon saint to see the video, but I can tell you they're awesome and worth talking about. Gary, uh, so certainly there's a lot uh, going on with uh, the Joseph Smith home in Kirtland, the Hill Cumora, uh, and and everything there. Are there other places where there is a lot going on that maybe we don't know about? Well, uh, is there a lot going on that you don't know about that I can tell you about? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, 
<laughs> that's the, the I mean it's question. just me and you and a thousand and thousands <laughs> of other people it, it's fine you can yeah I mean I guess obviously that's the question I'm sure that there's always something going on but are there yeah. things that are maybe lesser known or have been kind of talked about but maybe the media hasn't picked up or things that you're excited for that you can tell me about yeah certainly and and I apologize I, I live right north of the Hill Air Force Base runway uh-huh. And the jets are taking off, so I don't know if you can. Hear well, that I just hope not. that they're taking off as part of a routine thing. <laughs> if it's something more serious, we have permission and we can shut this thing down. <laughs> so, a couple projects that have have been announced. The I, one I mentioned earlier was in Canesville, well, Council Bluffs, Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, so, several decades, well, a couple of decades ago, there was a group that had reconstructed the Canesville Tabernacle. And the Canesville Tabernacle was the site where Brigham Young, uh, well, where the the first presidency was reorganized. And Brigham Young was sustained as president of the church. And this wasn't a church project, but the site was eventually donated to and accepted by the church by President Gordon B. Hinckley. And so it became one of the official church historic sites and uh, sorry i don't know if you can hear that oh you're fine so um and so it was operated as a historic site for several years uh, but the structure over time was uh, suffering and we did our best to to keep it up Um, but the the those who originally constructed the reconstruction constructed it in a similar manner that the original tabernacle was constructed in. And that was they built it out of green cottonwood. Hmm. And so this cottonwood just shrunk and shrunk over time, and it eventually led to an unsafe building. And so I can't remember if it was last year or in 2021, uh, we actually raised the building. Um, and Well, I think it was last year, actually. Well, sorry, the last three years have just been jumbled what? Why? What's been going on the last three years? What's... <laughs> What? What's been happening there? No, I I completely understand. And so what we're doing is we are we are keeping that location. And, and I should say that the the reconstructed tabernacle wasn't built on the original location. It was several blocks from from where it originally sat. But the story of the church in Council Bluffs, Iowa, and you know, what was once called Canesville, after Thomas L. Kane, a, a good friend of the church, is a story that really isn't shared much. Yeah, because uh, as I'm sitting here, I'm trying to rack my brain. I mean, obviously, Council Bluffs is significant as far as the church goes, but when I think of the Canesville Tabernacle, there's nothing that comes to my mind where it's like, this was where this was received, or this is where this happened, or yeah. I'm racking my brain and I can't think of it, though I know that this is an, an historic site. And, you know, that that period, winter quarters kind of takes all the, the limelight. And, I mean, that's a bad way to say it because it's <laughs> terrible. In it's, under, quarters, it's, under, what happened. it's understood. Allowed. It's allowed, um, given the context. But, but that's what people people hear about. And, you know, winter quarters was only used, I believe, just for a couple of years. And then everybody moved to the Iowa side of the river. And Canesville or Council Bluffs really was the jumping off point for thousands of Latter-day Saints as they were were heading west. It was a place where they, you know, were supplied, you know, and, and made the preparations to go. It was the place where the Mormon battalion was mustered mm. and began its march. And and so this redesigned landscape will have some interpretive features that tell the, the aspects of the history of the church in Canesville and, well, Council Bluffs. I keep saying Canesville, but it's Council Bluffs today. And so we hope that will be something that, you know, will draw visitors mm-hmm. more to, to that side of the river. Our, our visitation there has been quite a bit lower than at the Mormon Trail Center in Omaha. And it's just about a 20 minute drive. But we we hope to elevate the history of the, the church in that, that period and help people understand that, you know, it was a, a significant place and a significant period in church history. So uh, just making sure that I understand. So the the tabernacle that was sort of built by a group 
that was donated to the church. That building has been raised and they're not going to, we're not going to build another replica on the site. Is that correct? That's correct. And and part of the reason for the decision not to reconstruct it is is because of accuracy. You know, mm-hmm. we we like to reconstruct buildings on the places where they stood. And since that was not the original location, we we opted not to do that, but that also gave us an opportunity to expand the interpretation to beyond just this moment where the first presidency was reorganized, but really this this period of time where the church was in the area and the uh, the great things that happened there. Okay. What else? Are there other places that? Uh... So the Smiths. Smith Home in Kirtland, that is one that is, if you follow the Kirtland Historic Sites on Facebook, uh, they've been posting updates and pictures of the reconstruction of that building. And that is coming along very nicely. Um, we've had some su- few surprises with that. Oh, yeah. I mentioned some of that. In... I've renovated a home. I know what a few yeah. surprises <laughs> means. <laughs> um, but our our we're hoping that that will be completed sometime this year. Okay, and um, that will be a uh, that that will be a extremely uh, it's an important place in Kirtland, and uh, and you know Kirtland itself is important just as a whole with the temple and and the, the whole story there. Um, but the Joseph Smith home, well, the Joseph and Emma Smith home, uh, several significant and key things took place there, and so we'll be able to share those things with visitors in the, the coming years. Is that something that will be dedicated? Like, will there be a ceremony and a, and a big thing or do historic sites because they're not a place of ordinances or doctrine, they just are like, and we're open. So, well, we generally do a soft opening. Okay. So like with the priesthood restoration site and the Nauvoo Temple District, um, which was recently completed. We had a soft opening, but there was eventually a dedication. Um, and in both of those cases, it was a, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles who dedicated it. We anticipate that there will be a similar uh, event with the home, but uh, that hasn't been decided yet. I'll give you my address so I can be part of the invitation. I would like to attend that. <laughs> Having the opportunity to serve in and around that area, I think that would be uh, a, just a phenomenal experience. As would I. I, I don't even know if I'll get an invitation. <laughs> uh, uh, any other places uh, of particular note that the church is putting focus that you can tell us about? I'm sure that there's plenty in the works, and I don't want you. Get, I don't want to get you in trouble. But if there's something that you can tease us with, maybe. So the other thing that has has been announced, but it it was a kind of a not a quiet announcement, but it didn't get picked up by much um, is the beehive house oh in um, salt lake in salt lake and okay you know we recently restored uh, two rooms there um, that were tied to joseph f smith and the, the revelation that he received um, but the church recently uh, approved a larger project that will increase the long-term preservation of the building you know, the building, it's an adobe building, and adobe, you know, isn't the most strongest of materials, mm-hmm. and so there'll be a, a project to help with that. Uh, right now, the, well, it was announced that the Beehive House will close on April 8th, um, and I'm not part of that project, so I don't know the details, but but the rest of Temple Square has been ripped up and worked on. And as I figured, well, we might as well do something with the Beehive House while we're doing. doing well, and they and they added uh, the Joseph Smith Memorial Building as well to be that part is, of that. That's correct. Yeah. And that seems like that hasn't been too long ago that that was sort of renovated itself. What do you know anything about that project that you're allowed to? I, I don't know anything about that. So. Huh. huh. Uh, yeah, because when they announced that, like the Beehive House, I definitely was like, okay, I, I get it. You know, there's yeah. some stuff there. And and is, uh, I guess, a, a question that I have is because I don't think we mentioned it when we talked about the 23 sites. So is all of Temple Square like another, is that someone else's dominion that they are in charge of it, all that? That's not you? It, it is someone else's dominion. Um, well, 
it's kind of everybody's dominion. It, sure. Almost all church departments have a hand in, in Temple Square. And obviously, as the church historical department, we have a, a hand there as well. But, you know, the missionary department uh, is in charge of the interpretation uh, with the missionaries there. There's a, a department called Headquarters Facilities, which is involved in there, the Special Projects Department. I mean, it, Temple Square, you know, it really is the the epicenter for the church. Yeah. You know, it is the place where people come. So everybody, um, it, it's a very collaborative relationship as, as how, how Temple Square is managed. And even with all these projects um, that are going on, it's very, very collaborative and and that would be be exciting to to see when things are done and open and and people can go back and and visit all those places. Uh, a question that sort of dawns on me as we've been talking, uh, I'll throw it out there. How do you deal with uh, members' fervor around historic sites? Wow, um, that is a that's a great question, and lots of things are going through my mind <laughs> because the fervor can be on such a wide plane of of what people are excited about or passionate about um uh, help me understand more kind of what's in what well, you're thinking I, I mean I, I mean i guess a few things right uh one take for example the canesville i'm imagining that people that build that tabernacle were members of the church and were like here's yeah. our dedication and here's our devotion and then they give it to you and the church is like raise it we're going to make it and we're going to do that. So I'm betting that there's some interesting sort of politics that, that reside around that. And then I can also remember, um, you know, touring the Kirtland Temple and the attitude of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints towards the members of the community of Christ that are like, one day we'll own this, you know, this sort of entitlement. I, I just feel like there's a lot of attitudes around historic sites that don't often get the the opportunity to be discussed. And I wonder how you, the operations manager for Historic Sites Division, deals with all of those different elements of this. So I'm going to separate those two things out. Um, I'm going to address the first part, and then I'm going to get on my soapbox for the second part. <laughs> okay, please. Um, so you're correct. I mean, there there were people involved, and I'll use the Canesville Tabernacle as, a, as an example as you brought it up, but it is representative of of other projects that we've had and where you have had, or we have had a, you know, somebody or a group very invested in a historic site. Um, and in this case with the Canesville Tabernacle, they, they built it, they financed it, they built it, they actually operated it for a period of time before it was donated to the church. And, and I should say there were about two decades, if I remember correctly, between the time we received it and the time we raised it. So it wasn't like they gave it to us and, <laughs> oh, we knocked it down the next day. <laughs> Just wanted to clarify that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but it, it is sensitive. It, you know, I mean, they people have put their heart and soul into sharing the history of the church in, in a way that, that they felt was appropriate. And not saying that it wasn't appropriate, but that's that's how they conveyed it was through this reconstruction. And so as we were going through, you know, kind of discussing what we needed to do, it wasn't, you know, a group of us in the room and saying, OK, we're going to tear it down. It, we took very deliberate steps to to reach out to everybody who was involved. Um, and some of them had passed on. Mm -hmm. uh, we reached out to to family members and others and. Uh, shared with them why we were doing what we were doing, you know, shared with them, you know, our concerns about the, the safety of the structure. We also worked very closely with uh, the city and uh, local church leaders as well, because, you know, they're passionate about it as well. And, and the, the one thing with any historic site, the, the work we do is naturally collaborative. There are so many stakeholders with a historic site. You know, there's not just the church and the missionaries. There's the community. There's priesthood leaders. There's, you know, all sorts of, of connections to a historic site. In some cases, we we have school groups that come to our sites and and we share with them, you know, the the history of their area. Like in at the Mormon Trail Center in Omaha, we we have school groups come because. 
that history that we are telling is also part of their community history. It's not sure. just church history. And, and so we're, we're very uh, mindful of those who have, have a love and an interest and, and in some cases have invested their time and their means to, to preserve or to, to share some aspect of church history. And we've had several projects during the course of my career where we have had to reach out um, to folks and let them know what we were doing, why we were doing it, even get some counsel from them. And, you know, we don't go to them with a, a hard and fast decision, but we really do want their, their counsel and feedback. And, and uh, we want, you know, people to feel, feel good about, about things. Now, shifting gears to kind of the second part of your question. And I'm actually going to interrupt you real quick and say, uh, we don't call it a soapbox here in the cultural hall. We call it a Rami Umptum. So climb up on the Rami Umptum and say whatever you would like. Well, to say. I am climbing up on it to the tallest point. So, um, so, so let me start out by this. The, the community of Christ, the formerly known as the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we love them. They are our friends. They are spiritually our brothers and sisters. Religiously, they're our spiritual cousins. We we have a shared heritage. And you know, we could get all into you know all the reasons why they have the temple or why they have sites in Nauvoo and we don't. I, I don't really care about past history. Um, the, our friends in the, and they literally are our friends. Um, you know, we know them, we love them, we work together with them, we reach out to them. There's uh, one of their, their members who is on their Historic Sites Foundation board. I, when I'm in Disneyland, she comes with us. I mean, she's a <laughs> friend of our family. Um, and they have done a wonderful job preserving this shared heritage uh, and it's heartbreaking for me when members of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints say things like well one day we'll have this or you know i went to the kirtland temple and i i didn't feel the spirit at all they just ruined it or they they just talked about history and didn't talk about the spiritual events None of that is true. Um, so the community of Christ, they know their audience. They know that a, a significant portion of visitors who, who come to their sites are Latter-day Saints. And they share those stories, which we as Latter-day Saints hold dear. And, you know, the community of Christ may see things a little differently but they still share those stories because it's it's what happened there. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, for people to say, you know, well, I've never felt the spirit at a community of Christ's side. Well, that's not the community of Christ's fault. That's the individual's fault. Because some of the most powerful experiences I have had are at their sites. And and their tour guides are well-trained. They're very knowledgeable. They they know how to lead tours. Uh, Locke Mackay, who is the head of their historic sites program and an apostle in the community of Christ, I could go on a tour with Locke every day of the week and never get tired of it. He is amazing. And, you know, I... It, I've been able to take my family to Nauvoo and, and we were privileged to have Locke go through, through the home with us. And, you know, my, my family loved it mm -hmm. and, and it, it, it hurts when I hear these comments from Latter-day Saints, it's, we're not better than our friends in the community of Christ. We're, we're not doing a better job than they are. Um, you know, and people talk about, well, their finances, isn't it? Well, I don't care about that. That's, that's their institution. They don't worry about us. I mean, it, but I, I wish members of our faith, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, would show the community of Christ and their tour guides 
the same respect that they have for our sites because the the members of the community of Christ they love these sites the Kirtland Temple the Nauru sites just as much as we do and they love the sites that we own and operate just as much as we do and they visit our sites as well and mm-hmm. and we welcome them um, so I, I really wish members would just follow the counsel of the savior love your neighbor you know we, we may have differences of of opinion when it comes to doctrine and maybe even different interpretations of history but going visiting the kirtland temple or visiting the mansion house or the red brick store with an attitude that yeah one day we're going to own this or you know the spirit's not here well yeah you're not going to fill the spirit with an attitude like that be grateful be appreciative um say thank you you know after your tour you know and I, i've even heard some some members complain well god you got to pay seven dollars to go to the kirtland temple it's like well ha- have you ever been to colonial williamsburg or any other museum yeah, or historic site Jeez. seven that's seven dollars is the best seven dollars you'll you'll ever spend so but uh, also, I, I would encourage our members to go to those sites. I, I've heard several people over the years, you know, purposefully not go to their sites because yeah. of this misconception. And if you go to Kirtland without going to the Kirtland Temple, you have not gone to Kirtland. Right. You you completely missed the point. Completely missed the point. And same with Nauvoo. If you go to Nauvoo and not go to the red brick store and the homestead and the mansion house, you you have not gone to Nauvoo. I mean, I, I'm a huge Disneyland fan. I love Disneyland. And I, I always go on Pirates of the Caribbean because that is what you do when you go to Disneyland. And the same is said for, you know, these, these other places. I mean, would, do our members go to Palmyra and not go to the Sacred Grove? I mean that that's what it would be that's what it's akin to. So I I really hope that our and, and I have seen an improvement over yep. the years. Um, yep. It certainly isn't as bad as it as it was but um but we we still need to improve and uh, not just in our relationships with the community of Christ but in all aspects of our life um mm-hmm. to really live the counsel of the savior to love our neighbor but there are no exceptions to that and no footnotes saying yes but not these people or these people or these people so sorry i started oh no i love it ran me up in there so i I love that idea that in the scriptures it's like as i've loved you love one another except and then you go down to the footnote and it's like "Mm, this and this and the other thing in there uh let's take another break uh a couple more questions for you and then uh questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall i'll do that as we come back in the third block book of mormon secrets.com or you can find them on instagram at book of mormon secrets this is the opportunity for you to not only be able to see uh russ brunson be able to go through like all the cool things with the first edition hymnal of the church or uh, the first edition book of commandments. This is also an opportunity for you to be able to go and see these books in Idaho or be able to win a replica. You need to go right now to bookofmormonsecrets.com or you can follow them at Book of Mormon Secrets on Instagram. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test 
past the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, uh, remember you can always email us, contact at theculturalhall.com. That's the way you can suggest guests. If you think you might be a good guest, if you have someone in your ward, you've been reading a book by someone, maybe if you don't even have connection to that person, but you're like, man, this person needs some time in the Cultural Hall. You can send us those contact at theculturalhall.com. We'd love to visit with those folks. Uh, I thought about just ending the episode, Gary, after what you just said, because I feel like that's a great drop mic moment and we just go, (laughs) yeah, that's it. But because I have a few more minutes with you, I'm curious, uh, how do sites become historic sites? Well, there, there's a long bureaucratic process um, to that. We do have some guidelines, um, and th- there's a lot of factors that go into that. Um, resources is one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, even if you know hypothetically, if somebody were to donate a, a historic site to us, which we get uh, several times a year. There's those long-term resources to care for, maintain, staff, and and so that plays into it. Um, Also, the resources of our staff, as as I mentioned, we really are a smaller staff when you can compare it to the the program of the historic sites, the historic sites program of the church. And so that has to be taken into account as well. Um, But we have really focused on what we call the key sites of the restoration. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at some of the development projects that we have done and, you know, with the priesthood restoration site, you know, is probably the the most significant. Um, for many, many years after the church purchased that, well, uh, Wolford Wood purchased it on behalf of the church. And there's a long, wonderful story there. Um, but it, pretty much sat for years. The church did a little bit of development there. We placed a a monument uh, commemorating the restoration of the Iranic priesthood. But when you look at its significance to the worldwide church, it was surprising that we hadn't done more there. Mm. Um, Because the, you know, the restoration of the priesthood, if you're a Latter-day Saint, wherever you are around the world, that is significant to you. And that's impacts your life directly. And so as we look at opportunities uh, to expand the historic sites program, I think the focus really is now on those key sites. What are those sites that really impact members of the church around the world? And so, you know, like the Sacred Grove, well, anything from New York to Nauvoo really is is those things. Uh, the Western sites really more of our, our U.S. story. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we find that international members of the church really don't, uh, I shouldn't say don't care, but... Yeah, it's of uh, different significance. It makes sense. Different significance. And then also, you know, there's this whole question about international historic sites. Sure. Um, and that is a that's a door that we we've opened and peeked our head in a little bit um you know we we have i would say an aggressive historic markers program we have have placed uh, historic markers around the world um in the last decade um but you know purchasing a site developing it staffing it um, aside from the, the Smith home in Kirtland, we really haven't acquired much that would technically be a new historic site. Mm. Um, in fact, I'm, I think the Smith home is really the, the only one. We purchased that in, uh, I think, around 2010, maybe 2012. Sorry, I'm a historian, but I'm terrible with dates. <laughs> That's why I have books, so I yeah. don't need to remember. Um, but we we do get requests all the time. Um, some are significant sites, some are not so significant. Um, you know, we 
I, I could share with you several stories of sites we have turned down, um, but we could do that offline. Um, oh. ah, some okay. of them are. Um, so yeah, I. I, feel I guess like as, to... as you sort as you sort of go through that, I'm sort of racking my brain to think, you know, what are some of those significant moments that maybe don't have an historic site dedicated to them presently that isn't owned by either us or by the community of Christ. And so I'm sort of think, thinking through some of these things and I'm like, well, no, we got, there's a presence there already. And so I'm, I'm trying to get you to, to trap and fall into something, <laughs> but it's not going to happen. Uh, well, I, I think you're right. I mean, those key places those we have or we have a presence you know mm -hmm. obviously you know with the kirtland temple you know but we have access to it you know sure. it's open it's you know visitors are, are welcome and that's a valid point i think the church would feel very differently if the community of christ had a different attitude towards members of the church i that, that might be a fair statement um i it's hard to play what ifs. Sure. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And but, that might get a, might get you in a lot more trouble than it would <laughs> me. So maybe we we shut that down pretty quick. Uh, other things that sort of came to my mind um, as you were chatting about that, the Wood family that purchased, that, yes. that is a story in and of itself. So I just want to tease everyone that that is on the docket to have an episode of the Cultural Hall about the Wood family. So if you don't know, lock that back in the back of your brain because that is a story that you won't even believe at all from back in those times to present day, everything around that is, is one of the most fascinating stories within church history and within the church that I've ever been privy to, which I just think is fascinating. Um, the, the other thing that I guess I would wonder is, do you have a favorite? Oh, so I, I visit almost every historic site every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the missionaries, every time I visit, they ask me that question. And so I, I'm, I'm going to give you two answers. I, I, hopefully none of them are listening to this. Uh, it, <laughs> hopefully all of them are listening to this. What kind of... <laughs> well... I get what you mean. But when they ask me that question, I tell them that my favorite historic site is the one that I'm presently visiting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because in reality, they're kind of like my kids, you know, sure. you, you can't choose a favorite. You, you And and I love each site for different reasons. Um, now, I, I have had more involvement with uh, a few of the sites, um, you know, prior to um, this role that I'm in now as the operations manager. I was a historic sites curator and a historic landscape expert. And so I. I spent a lot of time with the sacred grove, with mm. the management of the sacred grove, documenting the the care and the management of that. Um, and I've I, I've walked every foot of the trails in there multiple times, and you, you can you have to love the sacred grove. Sure. Um, but you know, I I can see a picture, and generally I can. I know where that picture was taken mm. in the sacred grove. I, I've, I've been so involved in that. Um, so the, the sacred grove is a, a special place to me. I, I won't dare say it's my favorite, but it's a, <laughs> a, a favorite place of mine or a sacred place of mine. One of my favorites, I should say. Uh, the other is the Joseph Smith birthplace. And Interesting. The, the, the reason, for, well, a couple of reasons for that, that was my very first assignment uh, when I came into the historic sites program was to to write the interpretive material for that site for the missionaries to use. So it was the the first historic site I visited in an official capacity, and from that site also kind of grew this this landscape expertise that I gained because there were specific needs we needed there. We uh, develop what's called a cultural landscape report. If you ever have trouble sleeping, uh, <laughs> search for a cultural landscape report. It will put you right to sleep. But, but, and as I studied the landscape of the Joseph Smith birthplace and, and the history of that site in and of itself is just amazing. You know, you have Junius Wells 
who developed the site and he created all these features, these landscape features, many of which were lost over time. And as we studied it and learned about all these things, we, we got to kind of peek into his mind of what he was trying to do and really, you know, that he was, it wasn't just the monument that he created to commemorate Joseph Smith, but everything on the landscape was was designed to commemorate the prophet and his mission. So I, there's a special place in my heart for the Joseph Smith birthplace. It's one of the most underappreciated sites, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also one of the hardest to get to. Yes. Um, I went there last year, and it is one of the it, hardest to get to, for sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's a saying in Vermont that, you know, you can't get there from here. <laughs> and and that is so true. I mean, you you have to go somewhere else to actually get to the, the Joseph Smith birthplace. And that's, um, but it is the, it's beautiful. Um, I, well, you've been there. You, sure. You've, Tucked away, you know, nice and quiet. Yeah, it, just beautiful, you don't envision, pristine. Yeah, you don't envision that you're going to kind of come up over this thing and be like, oh, okay, a monolith and, you know, all of this history there. Yeah. Pretty, and, pretty amazing. You know, and one thing I, I will say, I'm kind of diverging into another thing, is when people visit historic sites, they visit them, but rarely do they give enough time to experience them. And, you know, with the, the Joseph Smith birthplace as an example, you know, I, I've walked every square foot of, of the property we have there for various reasons. And, and I'm not saying people have to do that. Mm-hmm. But if, if you, you just go there, you're on a tight time schedule. You know, a lot of people, we see this when we're there is, you know, they'll, they'll drive up the loop, they'll stop not even get out of their car, <laughs> take a picture of the monument with their window rolled down, then go and be on their way. And I think, you know, you have invested so much time and money to get here and you're just taking a picture. You know, th- there are other things to see there, but even in the sacred grove, people, well, all the sites, I, I don't have to pinpoint any site. people are in such a hurry that you know, they can check it off their list that they've been to the Sacred Grove or they've been to the No Cave Whitney store, but have they experienced it? You know, did, give, your, give yourself time to, to walk through the grove, to think about what happened there, to just enjoy the sights, the sounds, the, the feeling, the, the spirit that, that's there. Same with Nauvoo. I mean, the, one of my favorite things to do in Nauvoo is to either wake up in the early morning or in the evening, you know, just as the sun's setting and walk around the streets. Not talk to anybody, just walk around the streets and imagine what was this place like in the 1840s. And, you know, I mean, I could go on and on and give an example at every historic site, but if you're going to invest the time and the resources and the effort to, to go to one of these sacred places, experience it. Don't just visit it, experience it. And I, I, I wish, I wish that would be the other thing I'd get on the Ramy Hampton for and, and yell is to, to have people really plan out their, their trips so they can experience these sites. Yeah. Uh, Gary, there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I'll ask those of you right now. The first question is, is do you have a calling? And if so, what is it? I do have a calling. My wife and I serve as the group leaders at a care center here in our ward. So we coordinate the Sunday services and uh, really kind of are the shepherds of uh, some more senior folks who live in this care center. And I have threatened my bishop that if he releases us, we will uh, walk away from the church. Now that's not true, <laughs> um, but it, it it is a wonderful calling that has been a, a blessing to not only my life, but my wife and, and my family as well. Well, so. it's such a, it's such a tremendous blessing when you, when you're able to visit with these people who have lived entire lives and have just such a wealth of knowledge. I've had the opportunity in a couple of wards that I've just lived in, not to, not to serve in my calling as far as that goes, but to go and assist. And you just sit down and go, 
Yeah. Do you have any idea? And it's like, whoa, I had no, I had no idea about that. And every single one of those people has that story to tell individually. Yeah. Uh, if you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Oh, so my wife thinks I'm crazy for this. Uh, I, I love speaking in sacrament meeting. Uh -huh. I don't know why. If, if I could just be kind of a rotating sacrament meeting speaker. I, now Isn't I, that a high I, counselor? Well, no, I don't want the other responsibility. <laughs> um, I, but especially like, you know, church history. Obviously, I'm passionate about sure. church history. And now I, I think I'm a decent speaker. I, I don't know if the audience would agree with that. But if if I had my choice, yeah, I'd speak in sacrament a little more frequently. So, what do you mean? Like every six months, every month, every couple months? Give uh, me an idea. So, so at one point, one point I used to be an executive secretary for a stake. Um, and I was kind of the backup speaker for the, the high councilman uh -huh. um, when they needed someone. And there was a one day, well, a couple of days where I actually spoke in three wards okay. on the same day. I love that. Okay. Um, that, that might be a little too much, but again, my wife thinks I'm crazy that I like speaking. But. Tell you what, Gary, next time I'm asked to speak, I'm going to say, I appreciate the invitation. I've got a guy. He'll come down and he'll take whatever the assignment is. That sounds great. And then they'll give you, you know, if enough people listening to this give you that opportunity, I think it'll fulfill uh, what your wish is. The last sounds question good. we ask everyone, uh, we ask you to interpret it however you may, but the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Oh, so I, I know you asked this of people and I've been thinking about it. I think the favorite part of my faith, and, and this is something that really has, I, I think I've grown into, especially in the last few years, is really just how inclusive my faith, meaning not my individual faith, but my faith as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints, that, that we really are inclusive. Um, there is a place for all. When you, when I read the words of our, our modern-day prophets and the words of the Savior, and I mentioned this a couple of times in our discussion today the lord just wants us to love everybody and that is what i love about the gospel of jesus christ i can i can disagree with somebody's political opinions i may even disagree with their lifestyle but i can still love them i can still be friends with them mm -hmm. i can still put my arms around them and and tell them i love them um you know, we, as Latter-day Saints, we we believe in free agency, um, but lately it seems like we only believe in it if you agree with us. Right. Um, but I am, I love the fact that, that Christ welcomes all, and I believe the church welcomes all. I think what keeps us from that is us as members and our prejudices, our biases, and and, uh, but that's the other thing I love about our faith and my faith is I could, I can overcome those, um, those things. And, um, it's pretty simple. Just yeah. love everyone. Simple and also hard, right? Yes. It's simple. It's the simplest, hardest thing that we could ever be asked to do. But I mean, it is very simple. Yeah. Hard to execute on. Uh, Gary, I've appreciated our conversation. I hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. 